It's happening. Yesterday, Joe Biden announced that he will be wearing a mask when he's around other humans because Dr. Jill had tested positive for COVID. Of course, uh, Joe wore the mask initially for the cameras, and right up until he was standing about two feet from an old Medal of Honor recipient he was honoring in front of a, a group of lots of people. Then he took his mask off. Then he walked off before the ceremony was over, but that's another story. But anyway, uh, today, Rosemary Hills Elementary School in Maryland sent a note home to parents, and here's what it said, quote, three or more individuals have tested positive for COVID-19 in the past 10 days. To prevent further transmission, students will be required to wear N95 masks for the next 10 days. These are elementary students who, at the height of the pandemic, had about a .00098 chance of dying from COVID, and they're going to make them wear masks again, despite study after study that says they do no good, and lots of studies that say that they increase the chances of kids getting sick with something else. And studies show that the really young kids have big problems when they can't see their teacher's face. So instead of saying... Because of the three cases, they will be required to wear N95 masks. She just as easily could have put in the uh, letter. So children will be required to hop on one foot all day long in school for the next 10 days. Both would do the same amount of uh, – would both would have the same amount of effect on uh, preventing the disease from spreading, spreading. So if you're one of those people who asked me on Twitter during the pandemic why I cared so much about masks and why I cared if someone else was wearing one, this is why idiots who have power over people's lives, like the principal at this school, who should be fired, by the way, can make people suffer because of their stupidity. In this case, it's innocent little kids who believe that adults are always doing what's best for them. The Ron DeSantis campaign had a perfect response to this, by the way. It said, quote, thankfully, kids in Florida will not have to go through this hell since school mask mandates were banned in Florida two years ago. What's coming in Pennsylvania, I guess we should ask. I have a suggestion, though, for the Democrats. Make it mandatory for every office holder or bureaucrat in the Democrat Party to wear a mask starting tomorrow right up until Election Day 2024. You know, so that they can be role models for every citizen. And one thing you can be pretty sure of, by the way, is that anybody you do see wearing a mask between now and then is a Democrat. When we come back, how the FBI used the New York Times to help Hunter and Joe Biden deal with the bribery charges against them. And in our second half hour, 1,600 scientists signed a declaration saying there is no climate crisis. Stick around. Well, here's the headline in a story today at The Federalist. Exclusive FBI lies about highly credible source claims were linked to New York Times and spoon-fed to Weiss. And the story is based on emails uh, obtained by the Heritage Foundation and shared exclusively with The Federalist. So what is this about? Well, Mike Howe is the director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. I believe had uh, something to do with these emails being uh, given to the Federalist, and he joins us now. Mike, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about these emails? So keep in mind, we are only getting these emails because we are the only ones suing for them in, in federal court. And so all this other stuff that's happening, letters and requests are just being ignored. Only things 
come out when the judge tells the Biden administration they have to. So we're dealing with real-life obstruction where you have to get a court order to release emails. So we're finally starting to get some emails, right? And yeah. here's what they show in this instance. That just like with this Donald Trump, you know, PP tape, they laundered through the entire intelligence community and DOJ. That's what they were trying to do about the 1023 document that implicated President Biden being on the phone during bribery discussions. Okay, so the DOJ, knowing that these things were, you know, going to come out, is basically passing around these allegations of, uh, you know, Rudy Giuliani being involved in this, and it's absolutely outrageous because the FBI paid the informants, who was the source of these allegations, over hundreds of thousands of dollars because they trusted them so much. And so they're trying to discredit the source they're paying for themselves because they find them so credible. But this is how, you know, the regime does business. They like to get their media outlets out there to say things that they find helpful, and then they cycle it through the system to try to discredit it. And that's what we're seeing in these emails. Okay, this, uh, this is kind of confusing for people. It might be. It's, I, I just hope I'm... I hope I'm not asking stupid questions here, but I just want to make sure people understand. The story says these were lies leaked to the New York Times about the origins of damning evidence implicating Hunter and Joe Biden, and they were fed to uh, Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss. Everybody has heard his name plenty of times. So what were the lies, and, and why, again, did someone in the FBI leak it to the Times instead of just using the information and whether it was going to be misinformation or information that they gave to David Weiss, why didn't they just go directly to him? Why go to the Times and then have Weiss see the story in the Times? Because that's how you launder information through government agencies. Okay. Uh, you hide the initial source. So here's what the lie was. The lie is that the 1023 document, that's a document that Senator Grassley made public, where a FBI source said there were 17 phone calls, two of them with Joe Biden on the phone mm -hmm. and others with Hunter, and the corruption. We're talking about the corruption with foreign entities. Okay? They are trying to claim, in, in the lie, that this is a Rudy Giuliani cooked up thing. Whereas the truth of the matter is, it was a source that went to the FBI, that the FBI themselves deemed credible. So credible that they paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to continue to be a human source. So given that this information is so harmful to the Bidens, there is a need to discredit it. Uh -huh. And so how do you discredit it? You throw up a big scary name for the liberals like Rudy Giuliani, and you tell the New York Times to do what they do best, misinform, distract, and deflect. Got to understand the New York Times is not an independent actor here. They're, they're far from it. They're essentially government scribes, especially when it comes to things involving the Department of Justice. This is why they always have stories about classified information. Okay, they're getting the tip off from them because they're the ones the the government trusts the most to do their dirty biddings. So that's what's happening here, and that's what these emails tend to show. So, the um, is the New York Times uh, uh, just ignorant, or is it just cheerleading for for the for the Biden administration? And and and, and oh and, no, they're they're not ignorant. So they're doing. Well, I guess what I'm saying, I'm asking is. Um, are they that easy to manipulate, or are they looking to be manipulated? Oh, the, no one's manipulating. They're on the same team here. Mm -hmm. so you got to keep in mind how corporate media works. People who go to the New York Times go there to have their beliefs validated, their guys defended. Yeah. Okay. If the New York Times put out a headline tomorrow that said, wow, we changed our mind. Donald Trump is the best president of all time. Guess what would happen? The New York Times would go out of business because <laughs> their entire readership goes there to get these blue anon, as I call them, 
uh, lies force-fed to them and validates them. This is what media has come to in this country. And so when there's an instance here like this where uh, something needs to have, you know, some cloud of mystery shrouded in it, they go to the New York Times to do that for them. And this has just been the story of, you know, the better part of the last decade where Donald Trump and others have been tried in the media through selective leaks that, that are ongoing. This is their modus operandi. So Rudy Giuliani's name being thrown in there is just, uh, and that's instantly um, considered just not a credible source um, because he's a, a, a Trump guy. And if it comes from him, it, it can be dismissed. Exactly. And they did such a you know, good job by their standards of smearing Rudy Giuliani over recent years that he's an easy, easy person to point to. I mean, you're talking about a low-information audience, but most everyone knows who Rudy Giuliani is and knows which side of the aisle he falls on. And so that's why they point there instead of walking through this complex web of, you know, government interactions that's going on. They just – and this is what we're seeing on Capitol Hill. You have Jamie Raskin and others who really don't have a defense to the Biden corruption because they know it's there. They just say, well, Rudy's involved. I mean, come on, it's Rudy Giuliani. Who are you going to believe, me or Rudy? And that's their defense. That's where we're at as a country right now. So somebody uh, in the FBI or in the Justice Department who's working with or for Weiss um, comes in and hands him the uh, tells him the link to the story in the New York Times and read this and is it possible Weiss was seeing that stuff for the first time when he read it in the New York Times? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, the one thing we're figuring out over the course of our investigation and lawsuits is that these aren't really separate actors. Everyone's pretty much on the same team working through the same objectives, and so. What we get is what they're willing to put in government email and that we can sue and get out. So who knows what the other conversations are? Uh, you know, Weiss has not been complying with Congress, so they have sought to, you know, ask him questions and interview him. He's currently, you know, got this special status, this special counsel that I'm sure they'll use to protect him from further congressional oversight. But I don't know. I can't speculate on that. I mean, I'm, I could, but I you know, wouldn't want to do it on your radio show. I think I know what's going on. I think if you connect the, the dots on this, it all points to a massive cover-up. Uh, and that's where things are. And so if you're interested in following this, I know it's really complicated. We have a team of investigators and lawyers who spend all day digging through this stuff. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Oversight, and then the letters PR. We post the documents there. We try to break it down as simply as we can uh, because it is complicated. I mean, most multi-million dollar, decade-long international influence peddling schemes with 20 shell accounts for $20 million plus dollars dozen-plus Biden family officials, that's a complicated fact pattern. But that's, you know, that's how the mafia got taken down at the end of the day, a RICO charge, and that's what we're kind of looking at right now, that kind of setup, a mafia-like setup. We're talking to Mike Howell. He's director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. Emails from the Heritage Found- that the Heritage Foundation was able to obtain uh, were given exclusively to the Federalist for this story. So you can find this story at thefederalist.com. Where can they find your take on the on the documents again? At Oversight PR on Twitter. That's the letters PR, and we have the federal story, you know, repost there and all this kind of stuff. Okay, so what did Weiss do with this false information that was in the Times story once he got it? What's the first thing he did? Who knows? I, I, I don't know. We have a limited set of uh, documents here. I can tell you what he didn't do. Okay. And that was fairly prosecute Hunter Biden mm-hmm. uh, because the old, where that ended up was with a sweetheart plea deal. I was in court as it blew up and submitted you know, a massive uh, brief to the court laying out why they should reject it, which thankfully they did. 
so, you know, we're dealing with incomplete information here, and only what we're able to get. But even if you take all the, the scattered dots, it all points in the same direction. I mean, they, this is the whole of government, from the FBI to the White House to the Department of Justice, uh, the National Archives and other, all working in concert, pointing in the same direction, which is to completely evade accountability for what, in my estimation, is the biggest corruption scandal in American history. This makes what you know Richard Nixon was accused of look like child's play. I mean, it really does. Anything they accused Donald Trump of, as insane as all those things were, if you added those up in times of like 10, they wouldn't even approach, uh, you know, Tons of millions of dollars from foreign adversaries and corrupt regions of the world going to, you know, the president's bank account. And, you know, by that I mean his family bank accounts because that's how it's set up. You don't take money for the president. You have it go to your family members and the people you would give it to anyways. That's uh, also just as illegal as it is to take a bribe directly. It's amazing. Now, this is probably a stupid question, but has the New York Times retracted any of their story where they, where they listed – or, or, or had the Rudy Giuliani as the source? Uh, no, they're all in on this Giuliani theory. They're uh, still going Giuliani, with it? They, they say since, he, since Giuliani poked around and looked at Ukraine corruption, their view is anything relating to Ukraine corruption, therefore is connected to Giuliani, is therefore discredited. It's an insane theory, but you, know, you, you have to deal with insane theories when you're out of good facts, and they're out of good facts. And uh, I feel bad for the readers of the New York Times very, very badly. They're, they're getting terrible content and just propaganda. But unfortunately, I think that's what they want. And so I guess mission accomplished for them. Okay, again, so let me see if I uh, – uh, another question. You mentioned the sweetheart deal. Everybody knows that there was a sweetheart deal in place for Hunter Biden that fell through at the last minute. Uh, does, let me see if I have this right. So people at the FBI – wanted it's possible that people at the FBI wanted Weiss to think that this information came from Rudy Giuliani so he would dismiss it and th- and therefore go through with his plan to give Hunter uh, a sweetheart deal which he couldn't do if this stuff that came from um the the reliable source were true I, I think that is a reasonable interpretation of, of what topic absolutely because if you look at what you know, publicly happened, instead of charging Hunter Biden for anything related to these corrupt dealings, they charged him with a gun and a tax crime, okay? And in that plea deal for the gun and the tax crime, they included a little throwaway line that said, oh, by the way, this lets you off the hook for everything else you did. So the gun and tax charges, such as they were, even real charges, were just a vehicle to pardon him for everything else. And everything else relates to what we're talking about today, which is the corruption, so if Weiss, if Weiss thought it was coming from Rudy Giuliani and therefore dismissed it as not all that credible, that's one thing. Maybe it's uh, he should be, I, I guess, uh, accused of being stupid. But if he um, if he thought that the information was credible and still tried to get Hunter uh, off easy, then uh, how does he explain that? I don't know. You're asking for an explanation, which you deserve as an American citizen and a member of the media. (laughs) Here's the deal. He's not going to give you one. Okay. Now, how dare you question him in the Department of Justice? And Merrick Garland, you're basically a domestic terrorist if you question how he's running the the Department of Justice. Uh, Weiss has been complying with the request from Congress to sit down and give him forthright answers. He's just sending these pen pal game letters with vague language. So just because you deserve an explanation doesn't mean you're going to get one. That's how this government operates and the regime that occupies it. Uh, you can, you know, 
take what they say as gospel as far as they're concerned. But we're not we're not accepting that at the Heritage Oversight Project. That's why we started this investigative, you know, basically litigation operation, and we're the ones out there getting all the information and then pumping it out there. And you know, it all points in the same direction, and it's a sad and corrupt direction. And we're talking again to Mike Howell. He's the director of the Oversight Project of the Heritage Foundation, and you can find the story based on emails that um, the, the uh, Heritage Foundation was able to get. You can find it at thefederalist.com. Um, so, <laughs> you. At at what point? Uh, here's the thing, Mike. Uh, Mike, you and I are we're we're preaching to the choir right now. You're talking to me on a conservative, to a conservative audience on a conservative radio network station, um, and I, if 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 you had come out with a 100 uh, percent proof that Hunter Biden had you know he had video of him taking the the, the bribe, you know, being handed the check. The, most of the media would not report it. They wouldn't misreport it. They just would ignore it. So how is this ever going to go anywhere with the, with the way the media are ignoring it? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think a lot of people will say, but we need not to set our goalpost at when the media finally admits uh, you know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because the media is in on this. As we just talked about, New York Times is a willing participant in this scheme. So do not expect them ever to come around. They're in on it. They're not going to report on their own mis- misgivings and, you know, misconduct. Our standard is more important. It is the crumbling of U.S. citizen faith in this corrupt regime and the institutions that they try to, you know, tell us that we should trust, whether it's our, our election systems, their administration of justice, quote-unquote, all these other things. Because at the end of the day, if you want to govern a country of 300-plus million people, you cannot have – the vast majority of it believe that this is, you know, an illegitimate operation. And so that's what the Biden administration and the left are really playing with. Sure, they may have power now and they may be, you know, ruthlessly executing with it, but they cannot in a long-term, you know, pattern control and govern this country when no one believes them. And, and so that's where I'm at. That's unfortunately our path to changing things is there's going to be a wake-up moment across this country where it's just not worth it. And I, I think that's what we're barreling towards. I got less than a minute left. If if we didn't get one more ounce of uh, evidence ever again on this case, is it possible in any way that uh, in, a fair, on a, in a fair trial that the Bidens could beat this? Uh, yeah, I think conceivably. I mean, if it's going to, to SCOTUS in one day, I'm not a, a you know constitutional expert, but conceivably there could be. Also, in my view, like we're just proving the same thing over and over and over again. When when Joe Biden fired the Ukrainian prosecutor on tape, the one that was investigating his son, that was enough for me. And in any other president, that would have been enough for the American people, let alone a you know Republican president. Well, hey Mike, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you coming on and clearing this up. Again, people should check it out at thefederalist.com. Mike Howe, director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks very much. We'll be right back. Well, there are already stories of elementary school kids being told they have to wear masks again, so there's always plenty of hysteria out there waiting to happen, but uh, climate change hysteria has been around for over 50 years, and it's not going away. At least we know that there are still lots of scientists out there who aren't buying in because over 1,600 
just signed a no-climate emergency declaration. Dr. Bonner Cohen is a senior policy analyst for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow. He joins us now. Bonner, thanks for coming on the show. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. So who are these uh, scientists, and why is this declaration important? Okay, first of all, these are no backbenchers. Uh, These include two uh, Nobel laureates. Uh, These are scientists not just from the United States, from all over the world, and they ought to be commended for stepping forward and countering uh, the notion that we are undergoing a climate crisis or a climate emergency, or as Al Gore once called it, a planetary emergency, because there's no such thing going on. If you look at the climatological observations, what has happened uh, over the last two, three, four hundred years? Anything unusual? Well, actually, no. The, The planet has actually warmed up a very slight bit since around 1850, but that marked the end of what's called the Little Ice Age, which ran from about 1350 to 1400 to 1850. Uh, that was not a time that you wanted to live in because the temperatures were much lower than they are now. And because atmospheric levels of carbon dioxide, CO2, were also much lower than they are now, uh, it was a time of low agricultural productivity. The term climate change is redundant. Uh, the, the worst, if you go look at the four and a half billion year history of the Earth, you will see that we have had times when the Earth warmed up, it cooled down. We've had 17 ice ages in the past two million years. And what we're actually living in now is an interglacial period, which means we're living between the last ice age and the next one. And by the way, that's the climate change we really ought to worry about. We don't know exactly when it's going to come. Uh, but if the past is any guide, and, and in such matters it usually is, uh, it's headed our way, or it's headed in the way of our grandchildren or great-grandchildren, but come it will. So why are people so upset about this? Well, let's not forget that behind the uh, claims that we're undergoing a climate emergency or climate crisis lies a political agenda. And and, uh, as you pointed out at the beginning of the show, we're seeing mask mandates uh, being reimposed in schools, never mind children, have practically zero chance of getting any variant of COVID. You are seeing the same kinds of things happen in the climate arena. Why? Because by demonizing carbon dioxide, which is absolutely necessary for the growth of plants, and that includes crops, and by demonizing the human sources of climate uh, of carbon dioxide, which includes not only people exhaling, which we do all the time, but also the use of fossil fuels and certain agricultural practices, they recognize something. Uh, if you get control of energy, you get control of the people who need and use energy. And that's what this particular game is all about. They conjure up the division 
that we're having a climate crisis, not because we are in fact having a climate crisis. We're living actually in a relatively stable climatological environment. But what they're after is power, power over us, to get us to do things that we otherwise would not do. And that is what is going on here. Now, here's the thing, I, I, and I don't disagree with the word you said there, um, but it's, I, I, I understand, and it's everybody, I think people who have any skepticism at all about the climate change hysteria, they know that there's a certain amount or a great amount of, of government uh, quest for power involved, but are these scientists, I'm not talking about the 1600 who signed the, the, the emergency declaration, no, no climate emergency declaration, the scientists are being used by government people they, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, and trying to ask you is that these a government, a scientist, that goes to work every day, trying to thinking he's trying to save the planet. Is is he not? Is he speaking lies about his his findings and his research because he wants to help the government gain power, or is he just a dupe being used by the government? Uh, you raised a very good point. Um, in his uh, uh, farewell address just before he left office in January 1961, President Dwight Eisenhower warned against government-driven science. Mm-hmm. Now, I could spend a whole career in the U.S. Army, and the U.S. Army is nothing if not a giant bureaucracy. And Ike knew very well the nature of bureaucracies, and he was quite eminently familiar with the bureaucracies of Washington, D.C. And once you have government deciding what is and what is not science, and you have government passing out lots of money in the form of grants uh, supporting this but not supporting that, then you are getting science and you're making the science the tool of government. And he recognized quite rightly uh, that that was going to take us down a path down which we really don't want to go. So to get to your question, a lot of government scientists know exactly what is expected of them, and they know that there is a price to be paid by straying from the accepted orthodoxy. Similarly, those who are not necessarily employees of the government, but may be researchers or professors or what have you, uh, they also in no small way are dependent on government grants to support their research, and as such, they know that there is a price to be paid by a creating a paper trail, calling into question a climate orthodoxy. Well, uh, what do you think the grant reviewers are going to say when they see that? They're going to say, no, you're not getting that. So you have an awful lot of scientists, some of whom I can assure you really do know better, uh, but they know what's expected of them. And they don't want to jeopardize their incomes. They don't want to jeopardize paying their mortgages and what have you. And so they go along with this. Well, there's a Cornell University uh, released a report that said 99.9% of more than 88,000 climate change studies, 88,000, agree that humans have, have accelerated climate change. That's a lot. That's 88,000 studies. That's a lot of scientists 
and they claim that 99.9% of them are blaming uh, the climate change on humans. So who are these people? Uh, these are people whose livelihoods are dependent upon towing the line. Some of them may, in fact, uh, call themselves climate scientists, but anyone familiar with the climatological history of the Earth cannot possibly look around at, at the observations that are clearly visible to say today and say that anything unusual is going on. Yes, we have heat waves, uh, we have cold fronts, we have hurricanes, we have tornadoes, we have all of these things that the media uh, plays up all the time, but we've always had those things. There has been absolutely no increase in either the number or intensity of Atlantic hurricanes, Pacific typhoons, uh, cyclones in the Indian Ocean. Actually, for whatever reason, we have absolutely no idea why this is the case. Uh, tornadoes have actually decreased in recent years in the United States, probably nothing but a statistical anomaly. But you would never know that by listening to the media, which generally don't bother to inform themselves about anything. And a lot of the, the, the scientists to whom you just referred are these are people who, uh, again, know who's buttering their bread, and they don't want to rock the boat. And who – you have the president of the United States, leaders of countries all over the world, uh, other politicians in the United States who are out there – and you mentioned Al Gore, who was actually came within like 500 votes of being president of the United States, which is a scary thought – but um, he is out there telling us, uh, well, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that there would be no ice in the Arctic ah, Circle right. uh, 10 years from now. Are these people that evil that, that they just make stuff up, or, or are they swallowing this stuff? Is it just a community uh, it, of stupidity? It, it, it probably varies from individual to individual. Uh, some of these people do, in fact, know that they're lying. Some of them are delusional. That's probably the case with Al Gore, or simply ignorant of the subject matter. That would certainly apply to John Kerry. But they know what's expected of them. Gore uh, was influenced by a weird uh, uh, CO2-driven notion of, of climate change way back when he was in college uh, over a half century ago. And that became orthodoxy to him, and he has been beating the drum on this for a long time, making one absolutely preposterous prediction after the other. And he is by no means the only one. What they're now doing, by the way, they're spreading their predictions of gloom and doom out to the end of the 21st century, mm -hmm. uh, so that by the time they're proven wrong, they will have been long dead anyway. Right. So it, it, there's real danger in predicting that something's going to happen five or ten years. Uh, five or ten years goes by, and the dire prediction that they made has not come to be. But yeah, you, you will see a lot of people uh, who have been, been influenced by all of this uh, have allowed themselves to be brainwashed. Remember, our children are being systematically indoctrinated uh, in schools of K through 12. That continues at, at the university level. Uh, the media beats the drum on this. Uh, it's fashionable to, to say 
things like I care for the planet because we all like to think well of ourselves. Or I'm really concerned about the planet. What do you actually know about uh, the climatological history of the Earth? Most of these people know absolutely nothing. Talking to Dr. Bonner Cohen, he's senior policy analyst for the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow, talking about a, uh, a study that uh, a declaration that was just signed uh, by sixteen hundred over sixteen hundred scientists, uh, a no climate emergency declaration. I, I keep a thing in my uh, a little thing in my computer, uh, Bonner, that I I, have, I I drag up every time I come across somebody on Twitter who wants to talk about the uh, the impending doom for the planet, and it's it was written in uh, September uh, September eighteenth, twenty nineteen, so four years ago. By uh, Myron Ebel and Stephen J. at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And the headline is Wrong Again 50 Years of Failed Echo Apocalyptic Predictions. And um, you could put this up on a wall and just throw darts at it if you, you know, printed it out. And it's just stupid, ridiculous uh, prediction after another. It goes back 50 years. Uh, is there any other scientific endeavor? that has been proven wrong more often than this and still believed in the history uh, of the planet. More often this, although you can go back into history. Uh, you will see, for instance, in the latter part of the 19th century, the early part of the 20th century, a very fashionable doctrine uh, was known as eugenics. And eugenics had its roots in uh, people thinking, well, we have too many people on mm -hmm. the planet, some of whom are born with horrible uh, uh, diseases, and uh, no less than Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, and others embraced the whole idea of eugenics. But eugenics turned out to be a very slippery slope, because once you determine that certain people really shouldn't be uh, alive today, because these people will tell you it was on their, in their own interest that they, that they not be born, that turns out to be a slippery slope because eugenics actually turned out uh, to be the central organizing uh, principle of the Third Reich, which, and we know that that didn't end very well. Right. Uh, so yes, uh, every now and then we, we pick up, uh, uh, it becomes very fashionable in the chattering classes uh, to parrot uh, whatever is, is the thing we're talking about now. But we did have a, a very recent example of this, and that was something that uh, relates to what you were talking about right at the beginning of the broadcast, about the mask mandates in, in, in schools. The reaction of our public health establishment to COVID-19 in the form of lockdowns, uh, school closures, a social distancing, uh, and mask mandates. Uh, we will look back upon this someday, and actually we can look back on it now, and see what an absolute disaster this was. But that, too, became orthodoxy. And those physicians who spoke out against this, saying that the masks provide absolutely no protection whatsoever uh, from the viruses, and they don't because the, right. the pores in the, in the mask are larger than the, the particles that come from the virus, so they just come right on in. You can virtue signal all you wish, but you're, 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 you're not protecting yourself or anybody else for that matter. Right. 
But people who spoke out against this, particularly in the medical profession, they found themselves the object of the same kind of attacks as climate scientists who know that the Al Gore view of the world is wrong. Mm -hmm. They were shut down. Some of these people lost their licenses to practice medicine uh, simply by raising questions about where COVID-19 originated. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dr. Cohen, I'm out of time. Uh, Where can people find your stuff? Okay. uh, Please check us out on our website, which is cfact.org. Thank you very much, Dr. Bonner Cohen. I appreciate it. Hope to have you on again. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. We'll be right back. So uh, we just spent a few minutes in our last segment there uh, talking about liberal stupidity and not just the stupidity, but how they take the stupidity and try to control your lives with it. Uh, (laughs) There's something from Bernie Sanders that I came across today. He he was talking to the the Guardian, which is a, 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 a publication in the U.K., and he says, never before in American history have so few owned so much and has there been so much income and wealth inequality. Here's what Bernie wants to do. He says, this is Bernie Sanders who couldn't run a popsicle stand if he was, you know, if somebody asked him to. It's time for a 32-hour work week with no loss in pay. It's time that working families were able to take advantage of the increased productivity that new technologies provide so that they can enjoy more leisure time, family time, educational and cultural opportunities, and less stress. That's great in theory, of course, from Bernie, but (laughs) Bernie, as I said, couldn't run a popsicle stand if his life depended on it. If he was going to starve to death and needed to come up with a – he couldn't do it. And there's a. I was going to do a story on this. I couldn't find any details on it. There's a. There's a person in the uh, Pennsylvania legislature. I think it's a um, a state rep who uh, has said the same thing. She wants to have a 32 hour work week, a four day work week. I don't know about how many hours it would be, but four days, a four day work week in Pennsylvania. And uh, so they, they just Bernie wants to just. You know, a company has it's in business for five days. They have a it's a trucking company, and they deliver stuff every day or five days a week, Monday through Friday. Bernie wants to go into the trucking company and say, "You're not allowed to make these people work on Fridays. They have to be off on Friday, but we're still going to deliver the same amount of stuff." We're, uh, well, well, first of all, they're going to have one day less to work, but we're going to pay them the same. But you guys figure out how you're going to pay them the same without selling the same amount of stuff. This is Bernie Sanders. He almost became president of the United States. I'll talk to you tomorrow.